It was 18 years ago this weekend that about 85 adults, and then you throw their kids in the mix, came out to about 130 people. And we met for the very first time officially over at Nevlin Center in Uptown Ankeny. We didn't have 130 normally. We were running about 70 or 80 prior to that for a few weeks in what we call our soft launch services. And on uh, September, the next weekend, uh, we went back to about 70 or 80, hovered around 90 to 100 for probably another two or three months. And I was looking back at the charts this week with some of our staff. It's quite intriguing. Um, it's just a hard copy calendar, by the way, that we would keep then. Um, they had spreadsheets. We just didn't use them. But uh, I remember just marking each week how many came and what our offering was and what we preached from on the block for that day. And it stayed around 85 to 90, 100 or so. In January, the second Sunday of January, we went to two services. And we went to 141 on that Sunday. I thought, wow, we've never had that many yet. And by the first, I think the last week of February, we were having over 200 people. And uh, if you wonder why I'm always a fan of duplicating services, that's why. I just think oftentimes when you put bait in the water, fish will strike. And I'm not real complicated, kind of simple. And uh, the Lord has just been so gracious to us in these 18 years. You know, 18 can seem old if you're a parent and you have a child who's 18. You think, man, where'd the time go? As a church planter, it seems like we're pretty young still, to be frank with you. And so I hope the Lord gives us many more years to continue doing this one thing, and that is developing devoted followers of Jesus. That is our mission and has been since day one. We do it in three ways at First Family. We celebrate the gospel, we grow in community, and we serve the mission. I'll make a point here to make sure we understand that we serve the mission, not a mission, not our mission. We serve God's mission. It's the only mission that matters. Amen, church? And so we do that in order to become a people ready to reproduce. And so in those simple words, you really have the mission, strategy, and vision of this band of believers called First Family Church. Our vision is to become a people ready to reproduce. And so we do that by developing devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission. And we do it in this strategic way. We celebrate the gospel, grow in community, and serve the mission. Now, lest you think we came up with that uh, as something novel or new, we didn't. We're not that smart. We're not that ingenious. Um, in fact, I personally don't think any church should create or invent their mission. God told us the mission, didn't He? It's His mission. He gave His mission a church. He didn't give the church a mission. And God's been about His mission since He called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He said, through Abraham, I will bless all the nations. And Christ did come as our Messiah through the seed of Abraham and it's through Him that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That process is called making disciples. And that's the mandated mission of our God, to make disciples of all nations. Now, I'll grant you this. Churches can word that in different ways. Would you admit that? Based on context and culture, you can word that in different ways. But we just can't change it. You can't wordsmith it so much that it's not what it actually is. 
And we around here say we, our goal, our, our mission is to develop devoted followers of Jesus who celebrate, grow, and serve. And we see this best lived out in the book of Acts. Acts is, I believe, not only the descriptive narrative of the church, I think Taken in context at appropriate moments, it's the prescriptive narrative of the church. So understanding that, as we set out 18 years ago, what should we look like based on the first church? And admittedly, it's a different culture, different context. Some of those things are different. But what are the principles, the values? What are the non-negotiables we can take? And so we set these in place. This is what we've been after for 18 plus years now. A church who is seeking to obey God's mission of developing devoted followers, of making disciples, of making His name known among all the nations. It's as soon as Acts 2 that you begin to see this mission play out in this first church. And so I want to take us back to Acts 2 this week. We won't go to 1 Peter. We're in Acts 2, and the church here said, Amen, right? You're like, a break from 1 Peter. Thank you, Todd, right? Acts 2 is where we see the very beginning of a people called by God, rescued and redeemed by Him, and living out this, this mission of developing devoted followers who celebrate, grow, and serve, and seeing this reproduce. This is the passage of Scripture from which we draw all of our marching orders for the most part. You can combine Matthew 28 here. You can go to John 20. You can use Luke. You can use Acts 1.8. Yes, but if you want to ask, where does First Family draw its essential DNA? It's going to be right here. Acts 2. I spoke on this passage, in fact, 17 years ago at our first anniversary. What do you say we revisit again now in 18? Acts 2, verse 42. Follow along with me as I read this text for us. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves, would you underline that phrase, they devoted themselves? We'll come back to it, just underline the phrase for now. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, by the way, the word attending there, it's the same word in the original language as the word devoted in verse 42. Just make a note of that. It's this idea of continuously giving attention to something. They were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, underline the phrase, the Lord added. We'll come back to that as well. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. To begin, just notice this phrase again. The first four words of the paragraph. And they devoted themselves. Say it with me. And they devoted themselves. Notice the third word in this first sentence. Devoted. It's in verse 42. And in this opening verse of this paragraph, we find the four primary things that this early church was devoted to. Now, notice I say primary things. You're going to find some other things in the paragraph that they did. But I would suggest to you that the first four here are formational habits. 
Just make a note of that. Log it in your memory. The remaining are functional or what might, um, yeah, functional habits. You could look at it like this in business talk. The first four are lead goals. Those are things that we do, we're committed to because they result in what we call then lag goals. Like we can use these things to measure, but the real producing elements are these first four. These are the four formational goals. Here's some functional goals or habits. Here's the things they were devoted to. Let me show you the first four. And I believe there's some key words we can give ourselves to understand these better. He says, Luke does, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, meaning the beliefs and authoritative scriptures and instruction and doctrine that came from Christ. And this was to the apostles. This is why they were given signs and wonders to affirm and confirm the message. And so these big A apostles, they led and taught in manners that were supernaturally evidential. And it confirmed this message, this authoritative teaching that came directly from Christ. I would jot this word down, and that's this word submission. The early church was known as a submissive people. To whom? To Jesus and His authority. To Christ and His word as given through the apostles. Remember, most of the New Testament's written by the folks who were in this early group of apostles. They were the ones inspired by the Spirit to leave us this authoritative teaching. And so the early church, they were submissive. They were also a people of community. Notice this says here, they were devoted to the fellowship. You'll notice that there's a definite article in front of each of these. It was to the teaching, the fellowship. You'll see in a minute, the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's because these are very official these are uh, delineated elements and habits. First of all, of course, the apostles' teaching, then the fellowship or the community, one another. You can say this was like the, the church as a whole. Yes, it was relational, but here it's also seen in a corporate fashion. So they were devoted to the community. It says next, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. I believe this does refer to communion. Or you could write this word in, it's a... It's a moment in which they were obedient to remember the death of Jesus. Just about eight to nine weeks prior to this moment, Jesus told the disciples, do this regularly. This cup and this bread, you do this and you'll remember my death and you're to do this until, until I come again. So here they are just a couple of months into the early church and they're doing that. They're breaking the bread. They're remembering the death of Christ. They're obeying what the Lord said. And then they were devoted to the prayers. They'd often go to the temple at assigned times. You'll find this in Acts as you read other narratives that sometimes it was on their way to the temple that they would encounter other people and have conversations or they would experience sometimes the apostles in healing like a lame man. So these were the prayers they're talking about, very definitive times of praying together. I just wrote the word dependence because this first church they knew that unless they were vertically connected to God, they were in a pickle for sure, right? And if you were to ask me, Todd, what are four words describing the early church? Submission, community, obedience, and dependence. Now, these formational habits led to functional habits. And we see these listed as the paragraph kind of continues unfolding for us. I'll just read the Phrases out of verses 45 and 47. You look in your Bible, mark these. It says they were selling their possessions 
and distributing to any as they had need. The sincere as they were serving one another. In fact, watch this. They weren't just serving. They were sacrificially serving, selling their things. Like, you know, first century garage sales, like first century marketplace, right? They're, they're getting rid of things and whatever profit net they can, can um, gather, they're, they're helping those in need. It says they were attending the temple. Here's the idea of celebrating together. You see this with the phrase praising God. In other words, there was a spirit of worship and praise and commitment to being together to celebrate not only in, in praise and worship, but also with their communion. It says they were breaking bread in homes, receiving their food gladly. On this note, we can disagree. I tend to think this is a phrase referring to just their fellowship in the home of regular food. We can disagree. Some see it as the same as communion. I kind of see it, and other, other commentators do too, that the lack of the definite article seems to say this may just indicate that they were in their homes eating food together, relating well, experiencing community. Either way, wherever you land on that, it doesn't change the point of the text. Are you with me? So like I always say around here a lot on things we disagree that don't end up changing anything major and let's just stay friends. Amen? Here's the point. You find this idea of celebrating, of growing, and of serving, not only in these functional habits, you really see it in the formational habits, such as communion, the teaching, obedience, dependence. As you read this text and you see both formational habits and functional habits, it's not hard to spot the three elements that we say are, are um, diehard elements to our strategy. We celebrate the gospel. Say it, church, with me. We grow in community, and we serve the mission. So taking these four, five, six, seven things here, looking at them from a conceptual point of view and saying, how do we incorporate that now into this body of believers, this band of brothers and sisters? And the Lord has led us to say to you for 18 years, make sure that you celebrate the gospel, you grow in community, you serve the mission. It was their functional lifestyle. It was their formational lifestyle. It's how they lived their life. Now, let me remind you of something. Most of this paragraph is a description of the third word in the first sentence. And they, say it with me, church, devoted. See, often we read about these habits this lifestyle, these things they engaged in, and we forget that what Luke is doing is explaining what devotion looks like. So now that you've had an aha moment, let me ask you, are you devoted? I'd say many people in our current church landscape, and I mean not only here, but perhaps citywide, maybe region-wide, even in American Christianity, the church landscape of our country, people are many things. They're diversified. They add church as another thing they do. They're casual. They're interested. They're present. They're diplomatic. Sometimes... They're not even up to that level. They're indifferent, double-minded, intermittent. The question is, are we devoted?
Now, lest you wonder what the word means definitionally, because we see it descriptionally, right? These six, seven formational functional habits. Wow, that's an amazing group of people. But definitionally, this is a, a, a fantastic word and used on purpose by Luke. It means to be continually attentive to something. It means for a habit or an item or something to, to uh, garner your focus and it doesn't let go of it. Every parent of a newborn knows the meaning of this word. You bring that little one home. And you are devoted to making sure that life grows and breathes. I remember when our firstborn, when Julie brought Brett home, our first argument was in the driveway, in fact, getting Brett out of the car seat. And uh, I won't go into it here. I was like, man, this is not starting off real well, is it? <laughs> but, I mean, we, we checked on him to see if he was breathing in the car. Like, is he breathing? And, and, and we didn't have a monitor that was visual in those days. We had the kind you could hear. And any little creak or sound, we'd run in there and look, you know. I mean, we were, we were devoted. It had our continual attention. We were, in fact, some translations say steadfastly continuing in these things. This is what we did. This is the word used both definitionally and descriptionally to describe the early believers. I have a question for you. In light of this description, this definition, all that's now in your head, kind of rumbling around about this word, are you devoted? Or are you just kind of interested? Available. I'm present. Let me uh, take a few minutes and share with you some ways you perhaps can determine if you're devoted. I realize that as I do this, I'm going to make some of you upset. And I'm kind of glad about that because it may be the way we move you towards devotion. I say that because we, in all frankness, draw our metrics from this text. Our, we'll call them devotional metrics. How do we look at our church and say, hey, this is what we're asking for from you? We don't make them up. We draw them from this text. We put them on a bookmark this year. We call them our 2022 member goals. I just want to walk you through some things that we expect from those who call First Family their home. If your toes feel some pressure, just relax. It won't last too long. This will be good for all of us to know what does it look like to be devoted in 2022 in the same fashion, but perhaps different culture, context. Like, What does this look like now? i just give you some examples, and I want to be up front with you and tell you this. I would redo this if it were me now. Looking back after hearing some of your input and thinking about some of the metrics, there's some better ways, and you'll see them next year. This was a start. Can someone say amen? Amen. It's a start. I would say, first of all, regarding those who are members here, we expect 100% of our members to be in a small group to be serving and to be giving. That's what those three icons stand for. Now, I'll be further frank with you. Some have said to us, man, 100%? Well, would you want me to say 80? Like, who gets the pass? Right? And so I, I, I get mixed feedback. Or I should say we get mixed feedback. Some folks say, man, you guys have high standards. 
But the minute we say, okay, we'll just go 90%. Some of like, man, you don't expect much from us, do you? It's like, okay, I can't make you people happy sometimes, right? So let's just uh, cut to the chase. If you call this place your church home, if you're a member, guess what? We expect you to be in a small group, growing in community, serving the mission in both formal and informal ways, and giving of your resources. This is really seen not only in Acts 2, but throughout the book of Acts in the lives of the first followers. Um, as you think about following and moving towards this to say, am I really devoted? I can assure you every one of your leaders is all in for all three of these. There's not a single elder, deacon, or staff member, not in a small group, not giving, not serving. In fact, I would hope and I'm praying every small group leader is doing all three of these. We expect our leadership to model because you know what people follow? They don't follow mandates. People follow models. In fact, I would say to you in just very plain language, church is one big follow the leader endeavor. You may think that sounds a little crass. Why do you think Paul said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ? And one of the values we have for all of our leadership is copyability. It's a word we kind of made up around here. And it simply means this. You live the kind of life that any FFC member can say, I think I'll live like that person. And if they live like you, they would be a devoted first family. Now, here's where it gets a little wonky. We expect 75% of our members to attend their small group. You're saying, Todd, this sounds almost contradictory. I admit to you, it is a little weird. Last year, we noticed that though we had 90% of our members sign up for a small group, only about 50% were attending. And so we thought, let's try to eat this elephant one bite at a time, can we? So we're going to say to you, we expect every member to sign up 100%. And this year, we're going to see if we can get the 75% of our members attending. There are legitimate conflicts. There are seasons where you have things that press in, there's travel. I understand all those. Our leadership does, you do. We want to be oblivious to the way life works. So at least for 2022, we want to really see our normal average attendance in small groups go from 50 to 60% to 75%. That's what we expect from our members. That would be a sign there's an increasing devotion. Amen? Amen. We also expect 50% of our membership to engage the Bible five times a week. Now, this is where it gets even more wonky. You say, Todd, wouldn't you expect 100% to read their Bible? Amen, I do. But we didn't really know about a year ago how, ma how many people in our membership were actually engaging their Bible on a regular basis. We just didn't know. The national average is 10%. Did you know that? 10% of most churches read their Bible five times or more a week. And so I guess it was six months ago we said, well, well, last year we said, what should we aim for? And so we thought we want to aim for 100%, but we don't know where we are, so let's just set it at 50. Let's just say we want half our membership engaged five times a week or more. And we took a poll about six months ago. The results were 64% of you are engaging the Bible five times a week. Hallelujah. That's good. I would like to see 100%. Wouldn't you, church? And here's why. Research has shown in two different studies, both one in the 70s and I think one in the 90s, from LifeWay Research, that 
of all the habits that you can begin to do regularly, the one that most affects every other habit in your Christian life is regular Bible reading. If you want to learn how to witness better, if you want to pray more, love deeply, if, if all these habits that we're after, which one is affected, which, are, uh, which one affects the others the most? The survey, done twice, 20 years apart, says daily Bible reading is the most potent singular habit there is. And so we have elders who said, man, we just got to really aim towards that. It fits also the, the message of Scripture. And so last time we checked, 64% of you were saying, yes, five times a week or more, we're into the Bible. So how about today we take another poll? Can we do that? In fact, why don't you look at the back of the chair in front of you? If you're on the front row, just reach behind you. There's a little piece of paper. It'll look like this. It's just very simple. No name required. We want the most honest answer you can give us. Kids, adults, uh, take one of these and just put the number in the box. I'm speaking now to our Carlisle campus. Uh, the same thing is true for you guys. You have these uh, there with you. Your leaders will help you. Just take one of these and just write the number of times on average you engage the Bible per week. Let's see if we can garner a, a better estimate. And again, honesty is important here. Just write the number. And then we leave today. There's a basket in the back. You can drop it in that basket or you can put it in any of our offering boxes. Listen, church, listen very carefully. We're not trying to check up in a weird way, but we're trying to watch for your souls as elders. Hebrews says that. And we do want to nudge you towards things that make a difference in your life. And the most singular habit you can develop is that of reading your Bible regularly. My spidey pastoral sense tells me this. The more that we're engaged with Scripture, the higher our devotion will go to everything else. You know what I'm after in this church? I'm after devoted followers of Jesus. Not just interested people, not just casual seekers, devoted followers. The last item there you see is the one-on-one -on -one relationship. We haven't said much about this year on purpose. We've mainly addressed it with our staff. Just be aware that as we continue to forge ahead in increasing our devotion, we are going to continue to ask that every person have a, a discipling relationship in their life with someone who is either a Christian and needs to grow and you're discipling them, or perhaps even with someone who's not a Christian yet. And you're just, and I use this word appropriate, you're just eyeing them and loving them and relating to them so that they come to Jesus, a, a relationship of reconciliation, so to speak, that they'll be reconciled to God through Christ because His ordained means of drawing people to Himself is His people. We are on His great commission to make disciples of all nations. And so we're just encouraging every single member to have that kind of relationship with somebody else in their life. So these are our kind of devotional metrics as you look at them, again, you may be a little peeved at me right now. You may feel like your toes are getting stepped on. You may feel like I'm poking you in the chest. Fine, think what you want. Here's what I'm asking you. Based on this description in the Bible and how it's translated and given in our culture now and celebrating, growing and serving, being in a small group, attending the, the services regularly, being committed, uh, reading your Bible and prayer and obedience, all these things, would you say 
You are devoted. Just imagine, church, if all members of this body were devoted. I think we have only scratched the surface of what God could do with a full band of devoted followers. Say, well, Todd, what would God do? What could He do? Well, here's the good news. The text tells us. We don't have to make up anything. Amen? Look at this last phrase. That following this incredible description of devotion, God says He then accomplishes His mission. Look at the phrase, and the Lord added. Don't you love that? And by the way, the order matters. Addition follows devotion. Often churches get these backwards, and they focus on just adding people without making sure there's devotion. What you have then at the end is really just a collection of people who are in like a spiritual rotary club. They kind of join this like Christian Kiwanis group. And it's not really a regenerate membership. That's why this order matters. Devotion first. And then God does the work of adding to the church those who are being saved. Now, now listen, church, this does not mean that we don't expect addition. We do. We simply know we don't produce it. No one here adds anybody. You don't save a single soul, right? But yet, there should be this expectation the church should grow. How does it grow? When its members, when its followers are totally devoted to Jesus Christ as their treasure, obeying Him, submitting to Him, he, he makes the calls. He's the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. And when a watching world sees that, when someone you know in your office or uh, in your relationships, when they see that over time, that's the greatest and loudest message you have. And when you go to share the gospel, it's backed up by a life that's lived it. And this is why the text here says, Here's the first band of devoted followers, and here's what God did for them. He added to their church. Yes, we expect addition. We just don't produce it. And, and, and quite frankly, I think if I had to summarize this text in a simple phrase, this would be it. Here's your take-home truth today. I'm not quite done yet today, but here's the take-home truth, okay? That we pursue devotion... God produces addition. You with me? Just six words to summarize these verses. A description of the early church. The, the, the text from which we draw our DNA and the, the conceptual elements that make us who we are and what we do. We pursue devotion. God produces addition. Will you say it with me? We pursue devotion. God produces addition. Now, I want to linger for a moment on this word addition, all right? Let me speak, first of all, to those who may be in the churchosphere. They're ones who are going to be listening or watching later, probably. Then I'm going to speak to us in this specific flock about this word addition. As I pondered and thought about this and have been for years, I don't think for a moment that Luke was trying to uh, differentiate between different types of church growth. Now, this is going to be a little out of 
the sphere of many of you. That's okay. It's kind of the world I run in. So I say this to those who are listening later, who right now are preaching in their church. I'm kind of maybe shooting at something across the bow, that we saw often say, shot across the bow. I don't think Luke here is trying to say, hey, this is addition, but the church wasn't really multiplying yet, nor was it reproducing or expanding, because multiplying is when you're in the fourth tier of reproduction. Reproduction is the first level, and addition is just simply one extra person coming. Like, that gets really convoluted. Could somebody say amen? You're like, what does all that mean, Todd? You're right. There's a lot of language in the church planting world about ways to grow church levels, like level one, level two, level five, and and you can get really categorical in how you use these words. I don't think Luke's thinking of any of that. I think Luke's thinking of one thing. There were people who weren't disciples of Christ. They weren't followers of Jesus. But now they are. And God made it happen. Could Luke have said, and the Lord multiplied the church? He could have. Could he have said, and the Lord expanded the church? He could have. Could he have said, the Lord reproduced the church, reproduced believers? He could have. But he just simply said, the Lord added to the church. It's his responsibility. Jesus said, I will build my church, right? He's doing that. What you're seeing in this text is the great commission occurring just two months after Jesus gave it. That's the kind of church that started in Acts 1. And I don't want to get combative or confused with language that sometimes our culture creates to try to help us uh, distinguish things. I don't think that language is sinful, by the way. It's much like the language in regards to missions. The idea of a 2% of a country being unreached, that number's nowhere in the Bible. You know that? Those are man-made tools that we use to help us in our efforts. I'm not against them. The same thing's true in here. I'm not against words like multiplying, reproducing, expanding. But as we think about it as a flock... Our main concern should be this. How will God use us to reach those who are not yet disciples, followers, or believers? Call it what you want. Let's make sure that our eyes are on the fields that are white to harvest. That our eyes are not just on the back wall of a building we're in thinking, oh, we're full. I guess we're good. No, we've got a whole city to reach. We've got a world to impact. And that's what's in Luke's mind here. The followers were devoted and God said, I'm going to use you to add to my church. And what I and our elders want you to know, First Family, is that God's people from the very beginning were devoted to God's mission. And He multiplied them. He added to them. He reproduced them. There were people who weren't disciples who became disciples. There were those who weren't followers who became followers. There were people who weren't in the church, but they became part of the church. They were outside of God's family. They became in God's family. The great commission happened. God's people were making disciples who made disciples. And this is where I want to say to you on this 18th anniversary, let's continue in that vein. We don't get the option of changing the mission. We don't have the privilege or the responsibility or the authority to, to adjust it. We do what those who've come before us do and did. We continue to make disciples of all nations who will in turn make disciples of all nations ad infinitum. By the way, this is what Acts records. 
Acts records the church continuing to, and I'll use Luke's words here, either add, multiply, expand, whatever you want to call it there. Now, whether they were sent out informally, which is Acts 8 in persecution, many of us are praying that that won't happen, right? You'd rather be sent out formally, which is Acts 13. They were meeting to pray and worship, and God selected two of them to be church planters. But here's the thing. Whether informally or formally, God sent the church. A church must be about sending because in sending, we're multiplying and reproducing. We're seeing God add. That's what devoted followers do. What's interesting is Acts unfolds then those churches that were started by those believers, they were added to these other cities. And Acts records the gospel going to city after city after city, so much so, especially with the Macedonians, that Paul would write in Romans that, that the gospel had gone to the known world. Can you imagine being a part of that first flock? That within 30 to 40 years, the faith of, the, of 120 people that went to 3,000, then 5,000, then probably 10,000, and then persecution spread them out, within 30 or 40 years, it was said of that flock that your faith has gone out to the whole world. That's devotion. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to pour my life into, and I'm asking you to give your life to as well. Devotion to God's purposes, to making His name great among the nations. Now, as I begin to land the plane, I want to show you what this looks like organizationally at First Family. This is for all my business owners, guys who like to see things in charts and spreadsheets, forms, diagrams. Let me show you how we live this out in 2022, staying true to the elements and core concepts of Acts. We swim in three streams at First Family. We say this often around here. We can say we work in three arenas. Um, we call them FFC, which stands for First Family Church. We also work with FFE, which stands for First Family Extended, and then FFG, which is First Family Global. And by the way, you see this on a card that you have. I think it's uh, either when you came in, you got it, or you can get this when you leave. It's on the table in the back. I'm kind of rewriting some of the definitions, in fact, on this card to kind of give us some more updated language for what is actually occurring. But those are the three arenas we swim in. Those are the three things, the three streams that we kind of exist in. Of those three, FFC, which stands for First Family Church, that's the one that gets the bulk of our attention. FFE would primarily be our plants. FFG is going to primarily be our missions, or we call them our partners. And so I kind of see it like this. FFC is our people here. We want fully devoted followers. FFE is our plants. We have about six church plants plus one overseas. Uh, then we have FFG, which is our partners. So people, plants, and partners, kind of how I'm working it and rewriting it. Just understand, that's some of the ways that right now God is working within our midst. That's how it looks organizationally. When it comes to First Family Church, the primary circle, the, the root of the tree so that it can all be strong, there are three things that we do here. This is a review for many of you, but I want to make sure that we always review our mission. Here's our strategy to make sure that we're growing and developing devoted followers. We celebrate the gospel. You say it with me? 
celebrate the gospel. You can find this in Acts 2 without a problem at all. We also grow in community. Will you say that with me? Grow in community. At our church, that means you're in a small group. That's where the community occurs and happens at its deepest, best level. We also serve the mission. Say it with me. Serve the mission. And that's the real bulk of the FFC circle. But just know this, church, as you give and as you serve, you also are affecting other arenas such as FFE. It's how the Lord has provided through His power and through His leading uh, other church plants. In fact, I recall the, the first church plant. There were 40 folks here coming from Bondurant. And they approached our elders and said, what do you say we begin a campus in Bondurant? I think we're just a few years old. And we're like, well, we don't want to lose you guys from this place. We don't want to lose your giving, your serving. I mean, we're 40 of our best people. But man, the Lord was in that. And we were glad to send them out as a campus. They eventually became an autonomous church. Next week, Carlisle launches officially as a campus there. In between those two, we've had five or so church plants, Adele, uh, Albia, uh, Urbandale, East Des Moines with Life Change we've, uh, over in uh, Central Asia. And you see what's happening? What you do here ripples. And then, of course, our partners, there are folks who should be in these chairs. I shouldn't say should be. There are folks who used to be in these chairs. Folks who were finance operators at Hy-Vee. They were nurses at Lutheran, Methodist. They're now in unreached areas where the gospel's not even in print yet. But they're learning language. They're seeing, hopefully, folks come to Christ eventually. And they're going to plant a church in a place that's never even had the gospel. Amen. And so when you think about this inner circle, this core circle, here's what we want you to always be about. This is what we call our discipleship pathway. Again, it's drawn right from Acts, contextualized for our culture, yes. This is what we see those early believers doing. They're belonging, connecting, growing, serving, and multiplying. Again, this is available as you leave. It's on the back of the card. I'd encourage you to take one home, put it on your fridge. Notice that belonging, I just want to mention this, does not refer to belonging to the church. That's what connecting is. We first and foremost want to make sure you belong to Jesus. Amen? Because more important than belonging to an organization or an organism called the church is belonging to Christ. So once you belong to Christ, we want to connect you to His family, the church, and help you begin to grow and serve. And the end game is that you will then multiply by helping someone else experience the discipleship pathway. Now notice something here, church. Both the three larger circles as well as this circle here that describes what the people of First Family do, all of it's about the idea of God adding, God reproducing, God multiplying. It's all about disciples making disciples of all nations who make disciples of all nations. It's all about John 4.35, making sure we lift our eyes and see the fields that are white to harvest. And just know this about your pastor and elders and staff and deacons. There's not a single person in that group, our leadership, that desires our church to be just about our church. We want a solid Fully devoted church. Amen. No one wants to cut corners, soften, or create something shallow. But neither do we want to create anything or, or 
or work with people who just want to stop with these four walls. We have got a city to reach. Amen? A growing city, mind you. We're in a, a, a good, booming area of the Midwest. We're in a place that's generally safe and accessible. We can get a lot done. We've got people who are mobile, who can move to places that aren't as safe and as accessible and can begin gospel works there. And my heart wants to say to your heart this morning, let's do all we can to keep that as our focus, making disciples of all nations. Say, Todd, where does that begin? Good question. In the third word of verse 42, and they, say it with me, devoted themselves. Don't jump to addition without taking care of devotion. That's where it all starts. So can we once again make sure we're operating on the same page and starting in the right place by rehearsing together the take-home truth from this text in light of everything that God is doing and wants to do and that we desire to see God do, can we at least come back to this simple truth from Acts 2? Together, church, we pursue devotion. God produces addition. As I thought about that phrase and its impact on me for 18 years, this text, the whole book of Acts, the scriptures, you and, and what God's done, I thought of so many stories and I began to think, which one could I share? To be frank with you, there are many. I see Bob and Shalene over here on my left. They were part of starting this church. She was our first children's director. Bob was one of our first elders. In fact, uh, ordained on our first anniversary. Terry's back there. I see him. Brad and Emily are here. They were part of the six that began the church. Even before Terry and Bob and other folks came on board, there were six that met in a home and said, uh, we'll, we'll give this our best shot. We weren't sure if we'd make it or not. I thought about stories like Craig Davidson's and RJ's, The Heights, Chad and Becky Doubleday's story and how it involves the Roby Lighthouse then, now small group. Thought about the Fortenberries, Kevin and Kathleen Nickel, Paul and Cindy Johnston. Tamor was with us for six years and his rapping and his fro. <laughs> I thought about uh, Mark McClintock, probably the very first guy we ever sent out I doubt if anyone here knows him, but a few folks who were on day one or day two. He went out in the first, I think, few months, maybe a year. He's pastoring now, I think, in Nebraska. Maybe it's Missouri. Uh, thought about Vanessa, the McConnells, your son and my, our daughter, and their current experience, the Aikens. Man, there's so many stories. I look around the room even. I just see story. My mind is flooded with, with just story after story of how God turned you into a devoted follower and is turning you into a devoted follower. But none of those stories resonated with me. And I didn't know why. I kept thinking, Lord, just give me one. And in a great moment of conviction, the Lord said, I have given you one. It's my story. I don't mean mine. God's. And can we just be honest here? God's story, the gospel, that's the best story, isn't it? I mean, you want to see devotion 
visualized, historicalized, evidentialized. Do you want to see continual attention to one thing? Look at God redeeming a people unto himself. The center of that gospel story is Jesus Christ, who fulfilled over 300-something prophecies in his birth, lived a sinless, perfect life, fulfilling the law of God to a T, being our substitute and Savior and dying in our place, shedding his blood, sacrificing his body, and then being raised the third day, proving he was the Son of God in the flesh. He then ascended, and he's now seated at the right hand of God, his Father. The Bible describes Jesus as one who was fixated on Calvary, who was committed to the cross, despising its shame. He purchased the church with his own blood. That's devotion. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says to those readers, you haven't shed your blood yet in pointing to Jesus, saying he did what, what you've not done yet. So if we want to picture devotion, let's not settle for an earthly one from me and you. Let's point our eyes towards heaven and see God redeeming and reconciling to himself his people. And right now, while Jesus Christ is seated by the Father, he has sent the Holy Spirit, who is calling from the four corners of the world people to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing that through the ordained means of his church, whom the Holy Spirit empowers for this very reason. And there's a day coming when Christ will return. He'll gather together all those whom he has called. And for eternity, we will worship Jesus. See, that's why your story is always subservient to his. That's why my story is always subservient to his. Because as good as your story may be, or mine may be, it's not God's story, amen? God's story is Jesus' story. It's the gospel. That's the story we've got to rehearse, know, dig our feet into, and rest on. Because that's the only story that fuels this kind of devotion. It's the gospel that drives disciple-making devotion. That's why Isaac Watts in the 1700s would write these memorable words in finishing his song called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He says in the last verse, if I had everything in the world to give to God, it would still be too small. What does God want then? He says in light of the cross, here's what he writes. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's devotion. And it's driven by the gospel. So this morning with me, church, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and let's commit to as many years as God would give us be all about his mission, developing devoted followers.